0: And I was there, it was nine o'clock on a Sunday night. I was sweeping the floor. I had been running around doing all these little details. And I remember sitting in my car before I went back to Potentia to just do one final walkthrough. And I'm like, this is not how it's supposed to be. Cause it was all on me. I had not delegated anything. I did not have expectations. I just kind of was all in my head. There was so much that I have been doing my whole life, I realized, on my own. I just took it on because I thought it's just easier if I do it all on my own.
1: If there's one constant in business and entrepreneurship, it's that stuff happens. Things go wrong. We make bad choices the market shifts, an employee leaves, the big client gives notice that they're terminating your contract. Now, we can't always prepare for what's going to go wrong, but we can work on becoming more resilient when bad things do inevitably happen. You're listening to What Works, the show that transcends the hype to bring you candid conversations about what's really working to run and grow a small business today. I'm your host, Tara McMullin. This month, we've been sharing conversations all around the topic of resilience. We've looked at why we don't push through to our goals and finish the projects we start. We've explored the natural and not so natural pivots that happen over time. We've examined how expectations can get out of hand and what it looks like to coach yourself through two decades of business ownership. And today, as we close things out, we're going to take a good long look at actually learning from our mistakes. I spoke with one of my oldest business friends, Rebecca Ching, about some of the mistakes she made when she took a huge leap forward in her therapy business and opened a multidisciplinary brick and mortar practice. Today, Rebecca is both the founder of Potentia Therapy and an integrated leadership coach, helping entrepreneurs and leaders navigate the complexities of leadership today. Rebecca shares both the errors in her execution and the errors in her thinking that led to some difficult years. She also gets into some deep reflection around her personal identity and sense of worthiness that really resonated with me. For many of us self-described achievers, making a mistake or failing at a venture isn't just a setback. It rocks us to our core. And if that sounds like you too, I think you'll especially appreciate this conversation. And if you've appreciated this deep dive we've spent on resilience this month, I'd love for you to leave What Works a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Your kind words mean the world to me. Now, let's find out what works for Rebecca Ching. Rebecca Ching, welcome to What Works. Thank you so much for joining me today.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Absolutely. All right. So, Let's just
1: start off um, by having you take us back a number of years. Tell us about the day that you signed the lease for what would become Potentia Therapy's headquarters.
0: I love this question because I have a very vivid memory of sitting at my dining room table. Actually, I think I was standing at it, and I had this ginormous you know, chunk of paper in front of me. I had just <laughs> finished running my first half marathon, and decided it'd be a good idea to stop nursing at the same time. So I was <laughs> feeling a lot physically. And I look up at my husband and I said, are you sure you're ready for this? And he was like, yeah. you know." And I had a friend who had just reviewed the paperwork that's in commercial real estate here in Southern California. And I remember just feeling like this is going from this thing in my head to something that has this commitment, this felt serious, this felt very grown up. And I just remember signing that paper going, okay, here we go. Wow.
1: <laughs> yeah, that is a big commitment. A commercial lease is a huge commitment. So kind of walk us through what you had been thinking about, dreaming about up till that moment that led you to having that big, thick lease in front of you.
0: So, yeah, I I, I appreciate this question because I realized I had this vision for Potentia That was external when i talked about but i wasn't as aware of this internal vision that i had that was also going on that i didn't unpack until later but the external vision really was to create a beautiful space with specialized multidisciplinary professionals all under the same roof to offer coordinated and collaborated specialized care for clients so they didn't have to run all over town for all their different appointments and you know, have a team that really did care about the client and would care about each other and offered just that kind of support as it should be because i was just seeing so often how everyone was operating in their different silos and mm-hmm. clients were just floating around bouncing around and also recognizing the power of a beautiful space um and experience of coming in even onboarding clients and and creating something that was not going to add to their stress <laughs> mm-hmm. that, that they were already rumbling with. So I had a very specific vision of the space and the type of people and the experience that I wanted clients to have.
1: I love that. Um, you mentioned that later on, you realized that there was an internal
0: vision as well. Can you shed some light on that? Yeah, and and so as I'm reflecting on this experience, because this was a little over eight years ago, and I feel like that's such a lifetime in itself. um, Totally. I I realized there were other internal agendas. I, I didn't, and I got to know about myself, but I'm a starter. I like to take something and just get it going. Um, And that's really indicative of my own life. I just like you get through something, you you see a vision, you see the goal, and you just kind of push through and get whatever, get through whatever you need to, to get to that goal. And then it's done, check. And that's kind Mm -hmm. of how I'd live my life. And for me, I had this internal vision of just creating something and then just kind of relishing in the fruits of the labor and the idea and coasting. But also this something that I could kind of put a little like yeah, I did this. This was like an accomplishment for me. And I didn't realize how much my worthiness and my value and my identity were deeply infused with this business. And so obviously making mistakes and having successes and iterating and getting new ideas helped me tease out what was going on with this internal vision and recognizing that it was having an impact on how I was leading um, and needing to spend some time getting clarity on that and recalibrating that internal vision so that what I was doing with the external vision was aligned with really what was going on internally.
1: Yeah, Um, that makes a lot of sense to me. It feels very familiar. (laughs) Um, And so I definitely want to come Back to that. Uh, But I I think we probably need to lay some more groundwork for some of the mistakes and some of the failures that happened along. The way as you've worked up to this point of better understanding how to align the external vision with the internal vision and and what that all means for as at, you know, as you said, your worthiness, your value, your personal identity, mm-hmm. um, and how those things are all mixed up in there together. So once you signed the lease, once you did the build-out um, of the office space for potentia um, and got things up and running, some things went well, some things didn't go so well. How did the first few years of potentially actually measure up to your expectations?
0: Well, that's an interesting way of phrasing it because even now, but much more than, I don't know if anything could have measured up to my expectations. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to be honest. And so I think that was a flag in itself. You know, I had this pie in the sky vision. So, I mean, there were a lot of things on the execution front that went well, but there were a few curve balls that were really challenging, but also um, really helped shape and refine me as a leader and a business owner and as an entrepreneur. Um, I think the three things that I really tease out was just my understanding of building a business and then running and leading it. I, I just thought you, you get it going and it coasts and that mindset obviously I was like why are things so hard still? Why is this mm. a struggle? When is it going to be finished? I mean very and it feels very embarrassing and naive to say now but I think just in my life, I just, you, you accomplish something, it goes, you move on. But I had been living my life just kind of going on to the next thing because I was a serial starter. <laughs> and yes. so um, and so this really forced me to to get gritty and granular with the truth about being an entrepreneur and a business owner and leadership. The second piece was I was sharing this vision and I had all these cool people who wanted to work with me. And they're like, yeah, that sounds great. I'm like, sweet, sign the deal. Let's do it. And I had no real system in place for uh, clearly articulating the vision in writing. Um, Contracts that were in depth um, about, not just talking about the legalese stuff, whether they were an employer, independent contractor, but a vision and of what happens if things don't work out and how do we end well, whether it's positive or negative. So I didn't have those systems in place. So when things were going, going kind of left or right I was so confused like again naively because I'm like but you said this so why are you go you said you go left why are you going right we've talked about this and understanding like humans I mean the, the naivete of being a therapist to understand human behavior um <laughs> I had to take a pause you know because there is this part of me that thought everyone sees this is again the hubris of this well everyone sees the world the way I do <laughs> Right. Which you know, and and because I was so, and this is the the inner vision. I didn't realize how much this inner vision had kind of trumped my ability to have perspective taking and empathy and compassion and leaning on all of the years of training I have on, on on the mind body approach and how people behave and all of those things. So the staffing piece was a real challenge, and I kept I made a couple repeat mistakes because I kept hiring people that were replicating where I needed to work on or contracting with people. But I also wasn't leading well, because at the same time, there was a lot going on in my personal life. My oldest daughter was diagnosed on the autism spectrum and that just flipped everything around. So I was overextended. And I know Mm -hmm. that's not—that's like what business owner or entrepreneur doesn't have seasons like that, but there were big blind spots um, because of my expectations I didn't really clearly articulate those expectations and have plans and systems and support in place if things didn't go well. Again, it sounds super obvious in theory, but you get this great idea and you want to get going with it. That stuff's not fun. That stuff's not sexy. And you think, let's just trust people. Let's take people at their word. And honestly, though, when you have these real, now I have these very powerful, slow, involved onboarding and offboarding processes that give everyone safety and clarity and build trust from the get-go and have and then keep things in place. So when there's a confusion or a conflict or a misunderstanding, we circle back so quickly and it's just deepening our trust. It's deepening our collaboration. It's deepening the quality of the work that we do um, as a team. It's improving my leadership. And the third thing that I really uh, did not prepare for and no one taught me this was like taxes. When all of a sudden you, you go to making a certain amount of money to another huge leap and then you get this big IRS bill. I mean, and for me, I came from a family where of entrepreneurs where one of my parents drove our family into bankruptcy because they didn't do business well. So I had this like sense of if I this is not a hobby, this is gonna be a healthy business. And when I saw this bill and wasn't prepared, it took me out. And I just thought I am a failure. And then I started Mm -hmm. talking to other entrepreneurs and business owners. And I think there was one person who didn't experience this (laughs) Of a yeah. lot of people. And I'm like, oh, this is normal. Why are Very we not normal. talking why are we not talking about this more? But it forced me then to do more work around my relationship with money, around my systems with money, around um what money meant in terms of my safety, my security, my value, but also what it meant to really run a healthy business with cash flow too.
1: Yeah, I love that. Um All right. I would love for you to kind of walk us through a particular example of something that went wrong. Or I love how you put it at one point, like, things were, you asked, why were things still so hard? Like, can you walk us through one of those things that looking back on it, or or I guess really even in the moment, you were like, man, this is so hard. What am I doing that's making this so hard? Or what's going on that's making this so hard? Can you kind of walk us through one of those examples and what you learned from it, kind of how you do things differently today? Hmm. Gosh, there's a
0: lot I could draw draw from. But one, the one that's coming to mind right now is really the night before I opened Potentia Space for the first time. And I was there, it was nine o'clock on a Sunday night. I was sweeping the floor. I had been running around doing all these little details. And I remember sitting in my car before I went back to Potentia to just do one final walkthrough before uh, we had a massage therapist at the time. and She was seeing our first client in the space the next day. And I'm like, this is not how it's supposed to be. Because it was all on me. I had Mm. not delegated anything. I did not have expectations. I just kind of was all in my head. And so everyone had their systems and what to do in their office space and their client load. And we had some marketing stuff going on and all of that. But there was so much that I have been doing my whole life, I realized, on my own. I just took it on because I thought it's just easier if I do it all on my own. And so that first, so that, that moment, I'm like, something's got to change. Even before I officially opened or wow. we saw our first client in the space. And so that began a journey of getting some more administrative help and some more support there. Um, because it's just that moment sweeping at nine o'clock on a Sunday. And I'm like, I'm exhausted. And this is not what I thought it would feel like. And and maybe there's an element of just like, wake up. This isn't all glitz and glamor, but (laughs) realizing that once the people started seeing clients, this feeling wasn't going away. And I saw all this work ahead of me and I went, oh my gosh, I created this thing that's not sustainable for just me to do. Yeah. And I was just looking at all of it even before. And so that was, that was the first inkling. And, um, and I think, and some of the conversations are a little trickier to have, but, um i think just bringing on staff i think the idea of creating a beautiful space with a great team with a great reputation a clinical reputation that attracts a lot of people and a lot of people would want to work in a space like that and be on board for the vulnerability of like you can work in an agency or a hospital you know where you get a salary and a paycheck but in private practice you if you don't work, you don't get paid. So it's like your own business within a business. And so there's a lot of people that liked the idea of working in our business model, mm-hmm. but really could not handle it. And starting to see people crumble from the stress of their own relationship with money or cash flow being tight. And for me, I mean, I lived in D.C. and in New York City. I was on youth mission staff in Europe. So, I mean, my whole life has been on a tight paycheck. So I was like, I'm down. But recognizing that I was bringing on people based on their word. And then when their systems couldn't handle the business model or, you know, just really working with the population that Mm -hmm. we were specializing in with trauma and eating disorders and then seeing, um, and then, then really struggling with, wait, but you said you liked this <laughs> and now you don't. And, and, and really navigating those conflicts. And there was a handful of them throughout the years. Um, I think there was another one where I onboarded a bunch of staff at the same time. And I couldn't give that personalized care to each one. And that was just a, cl- a cluster too. So I brought on, I'm like, oh, we have a whole team. We can grab a whole class together. This is great in theory. And I think that was the time where I realized ninety five percent of my ideas need never see the light of day, and it was my my job to help discern which ideas I needed to start to beta test and not just put everything throw spaghetti on the wall with every idea, yeah, okay, so I wanna. <sighs> I want to pick this
1: apart a little bit, not in a bad way, Um, but I mean, uh, what I mean is that you're just talking about all of the people who were involved in Potentia and all of the people who were there um, ostensibly to support this vision of a beautiful multidisciplinary space where people could go for healing and wellness and, and wholeness. And you started off talking about how essentially alone you were in this business, how you realized it was all on your shoulders, how it was all in your, you know, everything that needed to be done, it was all in your head. Um, I don't have a fully formed question here, but I guess what I'm wondering is about is this disconnection between having what looks like a team of people who are there to help you make that vision a reality and the reality that you were alone, that there, that this was all on you. Can you just, I really don't have a fully formed question here clearly, but I'm, I'm very interested in how kind of reflecting back on it, you see the, the kind of this versus that of having a lot of people working with a lot of people but also being really really alone
0: yeah i know i I think i know where you're going because i wasn't fully understanding and art i wasn't articulating the vision on a granular level of the expectations and two i wasn't really being clear on and, and taking the time to bring people on the team not just because it felt good i was trusting my gut And, and so this loneliness part, I was building myself more and more into this, um, kind of this, this, this wall of loneliness, kind of surrounding myself in this wall of loneliness because I was taking it all on me. Mm -hmm. And anytime anything, anything went wrong, it was all my fault. Mm. So like, it's like the buck stops with me. Yes. But I was personalizing everything that went wrong was meant that I am failing. I was surrounding myself with people with mentors, with business colleagues that would actually collude with that at the time. I know, I know, not entirely, but I had way too many. And so, um, and then bringing on good people, but without really giving them the time and the onboarding and the nurturing and the support and really asking them truly what they wanted. You know, it wasn't just like, you're in my space, so do it my way. I was creating this business that was all about me and my vision, and it was not about we. Mm. And I didn't, and I did that by accident. Mm -hmm. And so about, go ahead.
1: Oh, I was just going to say, like, to me, it sounds like you had ownership of that vision, but that the rest of the team didn't have ownership of that vision. And so therefore they couldn't contribute to it, even if they wanted to.
0: Or they were contributing it in the way they thought was best, Mm. but it was just different. Or if they tapped out of the vision, there wasn't a way to communicate that. It didn't come clear to me until things were going poorly. And so about four years ago, you know, that four or five years ago, that about five years ago, that was like, okay, enough. And then the next few years after that started to recalibrate and get super granular on who we are, what we're doing. And getting super, getting system, Even people who wanted to work with me having systems in place about applying to work with me, and I could asking very specific questions. Um, and the other part too was that that loneliness was because my any struggle that happened at the office. I mean, anything that I would share with you in detail, or any of your listeners would hear, is nothing abnormal. This is like running a business 101. Mm-hmm. But every little struggle at the time. Felt like it was a deep reflection on my character and integrity. Everything was so wrapped up in my worthiness. And so doing this actual extrication and differentiation and that potential, because it was running me. I wasn't running it at the time. I created this beast of a vision, which was a really cool thing, but didn't know how to support it. And I had to do that by falling and failing and fumbling and then bringing in the right people and really getting clear on who was going to speak into my life personally and professionally. Um, And I feel like the parallel process at the same time with our daughter, we had to do the same thing because we knew how we wanted to raise our daughter. And if people weren't okay with her and the way that we wanted to create a space for her, then they were respectfully kind of like, okay, you can move on. And so the loneliness was deep for a while as we committed to the vision personally, but also for potentia. But when I started really getting clear on how to lead, not just cash a vision,
1: mm-hmm.
0: that's when the loneliness started to shift. Mm. And so I think drawing on some of the trainings I was doing and the parallel process, it also brought me to my knees and helped me rise on how who I wanted to be as a human. And that my work my worth and value isn't what's in the bank account or what other people are saying about my business but that it's you know i want to be of integrity i wanted to do quality work but now i mean now i have the dream team my gosh i am working with the men and women that make me a better human and i've stepped away from the business i am i've got another company i'm starting and i lead it i've got a small clinical practice i supervise i train i do workshops and the loneliness is a lot less because i dared to be vulnerable. And this word gets tossed around a lot these days, but the reality is there's nothing, nothing, nothing comfortable about sitting with risk, uncertainty, and emotional exposure. And I had to increase my bandwidth of tolerating saying, I'm struggling. I don't feel good about this. Hey, I didn't like how that conversation went. Can we check in again? Mm -hmm. How are you those little things? because i was so afraid of what i would get back because everything was wound so tight but once i kind of said okay we're gonna we're gonna do a remodel an internal remodel of the business and of my own life and i started that five years ago everything mm-hmm. is different so that the loneliness there is loneliness in leading i think i've learned that there's just that's part of the gig mm-hmm. is if i'm going to be leading and putting something out there and and disrupting a little bit Um, staying true to my core values and my integrity, there's going to be some loneliness in this. But I don't want to contribute and pile on to that any more than necessary. I love that.
1: We'll find out how things have changed for Rebecca in just a minute. But first, a word from our What Works partners. What Works is brought to you by Mighty Networks. It's time to start thinking about next year, your goals, your new projects, your opportunities. It's also time to start thinking about how you're going to make it happen. Now, when it comes to building a business online, you've got tons of options when it comes to software. In fact, the sheer number of platforms promising to help you turn your ideas into a new product, program, or course, well, they can be overwhelming. You end up with a business that's made up of five or six core pieces of software, plus another 10 or 15 that add all the bells and whistles. What started as a simple idea to build a community or teach what you know, turns into a mess of apps, software, and subscriptions. Well, Mighty Networks can make it all so much simpler. Mighty Networks is the only software available that helps you build a rich, beautiful community experience while delivering your own courses, premium groups, and sales funnel. And unlike the software or platforms you might've tried in the past, you have complete access to message and reach all of your members at any time. It's 100% ad-free, it's mobile first, and you can make your Mighty Network private, public, secret, or paid Plus, your Mighty Network also includes new, innovative community features that speed up the time it takes for your members to meet and build relationships, not just with you, but with each other. If you're thinking about launching a new group, course, or program in the new year, it's the perfect time to choose the simpler solution by getting started with Mighty Networks today. Go to MightyNetworks.com to start your free trial. That's MightyNetworks.com. What Works is also brought to you by the 2020 Venture Mastermind and Retreats. Now, as a What Works listener, I know a few things about you. I know you value my nosy questions about how small business owners actually manage their people, work through mental blocks, decide on prices, or market their services. I know you trust yourself to make great decisions about how you run your business, as long as you have solid info to go on. I know you value input from people from different industries, different business models, and different backgrounds as you lead your business and work toward your goals. And I also know that you don't go in for the hype about the latest business fad you're committed to building a solid foundation and sticking with what works for you. Now, all of that is great, truly, but it doesn't mean you don't run into challenges from time to time. It doesn't mean you don't want support from people working on similar projects and answering similar questions. And the more your business has grown... Well, the fewer people there are to talk to. And that's where Venture comes in. The Venture Mastermind is a 12-month peer support group for growth and scale stage business owners. We gather to address your specific challenges, things like hiring, scaling your outreach, reworking procedures, developing a new revenue stream, or managing your team. And for every challenge we address, we inevitably take a look at the mindset, assumptions, and biases we bring to the table. So we're getting to the root of the problem and not just putting a Band-Aid on it. Now, Venture includes two monthly mastermind sessions through all of 2020, one retreat to Palm Springs and Joshua Tree National Park, one retreat to Gatlinburg, Tennessee, and Great Smoky Mountains National Park, and two analysis calls one-on-one with me to integrate what you're working on and identify what you want to work on next. To learn more about venture and whether it's the perfect fit for you as you grow your business in 2020, go to explorewhatworks.com slash venture. That's explorewhatworks.com slash venture. Um, I want to get into like the nitty-gritty of how you actually run things differently today and then how that's actually allowed you to, to start building a second company as well. Um, but first, I'm guessing to get things right or to, do, to even uh, start approaching doing things differently in the business, you had to address these personal issues here. And I'd like to hear more about the nitty-gritty of that First. And specifically, I'd like to talk about this worthiness piece and the personal identity piece and how you started to untangle your identity and worthiness and, and inherent value from these sort of outward markers of success or like what you considered your kind of the, the markers of your identity and worthiness. So, what kind of tools, what kind of process did you use to start? better understanding your own identity and worthiness.
0: Right. So I have a very specific vision of sitting at the gym on a recumbent bike <laughs> with Brene Brown's gift of imperfection and a pencil and circling writing notes going, holy shit, this is, this is what I need. And I'm doing this along with millions of others collectively in the country, unbeknownst to me at the time, you know, and saw the Ted talk and then ended up attending Brene's second national training. So I've been a part of the Daring Way as a facilitator, but also a consultant helping other people get certified in the Daring Way for seven years now. And so it's one thing to sit there and quote Brene, and that's Brene's research, I should say, it's another thing to live it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where a lot gets lost and so I had to realize, I had to get so granular and clear on who I was. I had to go and do my own personal, this, we talk about in the daring way, shame work is trauma work, trauma work is shame work. And then that ushers itself into grief and loss work. Mm. And so I had to grieve, after I did it, I grieved a lot of expectations, I grieved a lot of my mistakes. But then I realized that my, I had to reclaim putting my worthiness on the table for negotiation. And that's something that's so personal. And the other piece I had to realize is that it will never get comfortable being vulnerable and being in my truth, but it will feel like, it will feel like the truest thing for me. And to feel, I feel the most confident in that place, even if I'm not comfortable, I'll feel the most courageous there. And so those are all big words. And again, this isn't something you declare, This is something you embody. Mm -hmm. We can declare it on social media till the sun goes down. But this is how I interact. It was how I interact with my staff. It's the pace that I would walk around. It was the pauses I was taking in my day to look at my kids, to check in with one of my team members, to spend a couple hours on very unsexy paperwork around finances and hiring and legalese because I knew it would give everyone more space to breathe um it meant saying no and not and recognizing and getting out of the bubble i had to get so picky who was speaking into my life and there was grieving a loss of what i wanted in real personal and professional relationships and that i also realized we people are going to critique me i'm going to disappoint people i'm going to offend them i'm going to annoy them and they're going to talk bad about me <laughs> i am i am that's just that's just part of the gig that I keep saying that. So I'm like, okay, but who are the people that I have in my life that I've got my back? And can I look at myself and say, did I show up the best I could, you know, and and be and how am I practicing self compassion when my best isn't really aligned with who I want to be and what the work I want to do. And so I had to really get honest with myself on my strengths and growth areas, I had blind spots around conflict, believe it or not, because I love conflict. Mm but there were certain with certain types of people that went back to my childhood trauma. So given the line of work I do, I was like, Oh, game on, you know, this is, I found some blind spots. So I was able to do that is now it's now been a couple of years since I've had space from, I think all of the folks that I think were colluding with those stories I was living from. And the other practice is, um, self-leadership, and it's a process uh, based on Internal Family Systems, a theory by Richard Schwartz, which really helped me shift how I look at resistance and imposter experience and um, inner critics, instead of trying to kill them and get rid of them. And, you know, banish them from my life, I realized they're actually a part of me carrying burdens from my story, and how to befriend them, how to unburden the stories that they're carrying that aren't true and how to really lead my own inner system. Because if I'm not leading my inner system, there's no way I can lead anybody else, whether it's in my family, whether it's in my business or in my community. So how I led, led myself change, and some of that might just be age. I mean, <laughs> I'm in my late 40s now, which is so weird to say. <laughs> um, and so some of that might just be on a developmental curve, and I feel like my business models and my experiences have modeled that. But really, really doing the work and understanding that struggle is not failure. Everything is beta. That's what I tell my team, I tell myself it tackles my perfectionism propensity. Mm-hmm. And I circle back quickly. And I'd rather have a quick sting of something I didn't do well, say well. And if someone's misunderstanding me, then I, and, or there's bitterness and resentment, then I realign the relationship and the boundaries quicker. Um, I've got great support team. I've brought on some great people over the last few years to help me with my clinical leadership and my business leadership and my business systems. And that's been everything. And then recognizing that my business is not me. You know, there was something that you wrote, um, a year or two ago, Tara that I think was like the final nail in the coffin in the old ways of doing things with Potentia. And it's like, is your business your child or are you getting ready to launch? It was kind of along those lines. Are you raising a baby or are you getting ready to launch? I think that was about two years ago you wrote or did a podcast online. Do you remember that? Um,
1: I did an interview on the podcast with a woman who's very uh, adamant about our businesses not being our babies, which of course I'm all
0: all about well i i had a baby and i went oh shit i don't want a baby i'm done (laughs) and so that was like that piece of going no what do i need and so when i look at potentia and looking as if i'm ready to launch it at any moment that changed everything yeah i want this to go and so and then shifting to and then yeah and then just shifting with my leadership development company going, how do i help leaders? Have the impact, and not not obviously. I'm inspired by my own experience, but also seeing what's going on in the world. Run the marathon. It takes to be courageous, to be a disruptor, um, to be humans with stories that can give us blind spots and hijack things. Um, how do they? How do we have? How can we help these leaders run the marathon and have an impact where they're not fueling the toxic stuff in their culture um, that we're seeing in culture, but in fact create spaces that are both brave and safe. Um, and aligned with vision. And so yeah, no, I, I, I'm creating a business to launch and not a baby. I agreed with. And so that was so helpful when I heard that. That's awesome.
1: Um, I do. I really, really do want to get to some of the like structural changes that you made in the business and, and then in starting the second company as well. Um, But just one more question about sort of like the internal, like mental game going on here. I, I am so curious what like your self-talk sounds like. <laughs> so, you know, you said um this stuff never gets comfortable, but you, you no. know, you realize the benefit of it. And so I'm assuming that there is some sort of self-talk that you use. You, you know, you said self-leadership, you talk yourself uh-huh. through your willingness to have those uncomfortable conversations, your willingness to sit with uncomfortable amounts of paperwork around financials, you know, things like that. Can you just kind of give voice to that just a little bit for us so we can hear the kinds of things that are going on in your head as you're working through these things.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, this is an imperfect process and anyone who says they do this well, I call BS, but (laughs) um, I I think really the big part is I've become very somatically aware. Mm. Um, So there's certain emotions that I know where I hold them in my body. So whether it's shame, whether it's fear, whether it's grief, those are some of the biggest emotions for me. And oh, and anger. I mean, I'm a redhead, so I mean like I <laughs> embody that stereotype there. And so I have, and one of the biggest influences of Brene's research that really fits what I was seeing clinically and in my leadership work is that we feel things before we have words around them. And so so much of this cognitive work of, you know, just you know, change your thoughts, change your life there's so much neuroscience that's not supporting that, mm-hmm. but that's more ban- band-aid work and it's important scaffolding work, but that's not sustaining work. The sustaining work is if I can start to get a clue before I even have words around it, what's going on. So there's certain ways I feel in my body, certain flashes of emotions that I've worked to build my emotional literacy, certain places somatically that I now I'm cued. Oh, what's going on? And then the curiosity is my superpower. What mm-hmm. am I feeling? Where am I feeling it and how do I feel towards it? And sometimes how I feel towards it has a whole heck of a lot of judgment. Are you kidding me? This is back again. I don't wanna deal with this anymore. And so I hear, par- hear parts of me have their own inner tantrums. They wanna be efficient. They wanna just coast. They wanna break. All are valid. And that's the other part is everything I'm feeling is valid. Everything is welcome. Even if I don't. parts of me don't like it, it's all welcome. And so if I'm leading from a place of judgment and critique and efficiency, I'm a three on the Enneagram. I love efficiency. I was wondering if you were a three. (laughs) This, this, you know, that's the thing I'm laughing at. There's just nothing efficient about being an entrepreneur sometimes, you know? And so that's been an interesting journey, getting to know my strengths there and my growth and studying shame. I mean, like ironic, hello, um, being a three. But. So really, really getting clear on how I feel towards what I'm feeling. And so usually if it's someone lighting me up, whether it's my husband, my kids, a colleague, client, something I see in the news or in the world, when I feel that charge and not, you know, like that, just something that takes me zero to 50 and above, right? Mm-hmm. I pause and go, what am I feeling? Where am I feeling at my body? And how do I feel towards it? I call it the U-turn, the Y-O-U-turn. Because here's the thing, I, then I have my agency because then I'm not blaming, oh, well, they did this and they did that and they didn't make me feel safe and they're not following the plans and they broke the contract or mm-hmm. he didn't put his laundry in the laundry basket again. And and so then I'm like, I have the power I have the agency to lead. It doesn't mean I don't have conversations with people around me, but I can't show up with them if I'm leading from the judgment and the reactivity and the shame and the fear and the blame. And so, and I do this imperfectly. That's why I'm dizzy from circling back with people going, hey, I did not show up the way I wanted to. But back to my inner world. So when I identify how I'm feeling towards something, often there's a lot of judgment or fear or shame or avoidance or numbing. And I I rumble with that then. And that's what I work on, whether it's on my own, whether I get support from my coach or from my therapist, um, from my friends. Sometimes I journal but it's it's becoming more of an intuitive process, but I've been at this for several years. Yeah. And so much of my clinical training was just all in my head and just, yeah, do this strategy. But it, you know, it wasn't until really understanding shame, resilience and self-leadership, it's the parallel process. Who I show up as a leader is gonna impact what I want. You, I, can, I can build something all I want, but if I wanna make the lasting impact, it's who I am and how I'm leading on the inside. And the fact that the belief that struggle is a sign of failure. That's a sign of growth edge. That's a, that's a sign of a learning curve. That's a sign of a recalibration that's needed or being out of alignment with boundaries. It's just data. It's not my identity.
1: Mm, I love that. Um, and I, as a three, I identify with so much that you have said. Um, all right, let's talk about the structural changes that you've made in the business. What What do you think is like the number one structural change you've made at Potentia that's allowed you to create the space to start a second company?
0: Oh, one. I would just say this around- I know,
1: that was hard.
0: <laughs> no, that's okay, because they're kind of connected, but at the top of it is just staffing and leading. So my staffing and leadership. I have internal systems in place when I'm onboarding new people. It's a slow, methodical internal process that I don't get super involved in until three or four, three people at least have, have connected with somebody. Mm-hmm. So I don't, so, cause I can get all like, you're amazing. Let's do this. And that's not helpful. So I'm not doing that anymore. And I have an external support, uh, a, men- a mentor I brought on when I realized I was not like how I wanted to lead and supervise differently. And so he, is not even connected with Potentia, but someone I deeply trust. And then he, anyone I bring on the team meets with him and he gives me his perspective and a write up. So best, best checks I write. Um, wow. and then my and my staff is so protective of the culture now that they are, they will spend an hour of their day meeting with potential people. If I, if I, I have a vetting process online that people can apply to inquire, if they make it past that if i like what i see i'll connect them with a team member or two and if they make it past that i'll have a conversation and then if i like that i'll send them to my outside person and if that goes well and then they come back to me for a face to face that's slow and long and and and, and, and people self select out all the time and i'm like great you know what i mean i don't have to sell it and and i and i don't try and hotwire rush it and I don't over-function in the interview process. And in that process, what they're learning, and depending on what level they're at, we're very clear in our boundaries, on our values. And my team at the beginning of the year, we operationalize all of our values and we're creating a really cool visual for that, for the website and for us internally, that'll go on our new website next year. Um, and so we always circle back to that. Our team meets weekly. We have systems and structures on how that meeting goes, which is rare in private practice. Because people don't make money during that time. So they're invested in creating the community, the culture, and in refining their, their practice. So that's that's part of the values, too.
1: Wow. <laughs> that's, um, that is some structural change. I, I dig it. Thank you for sharing that. Um, tell us about the new company um, and maybe something that you have done differently in starting
0: that company
1: from, from Potentia.
0: Oh, my gosh, I just doubled over laughing because it's like all different. Like, right, all the things. Because Tara, I'm like going snail pace slow because I'm like, I don't want to do that again. You know, so it's like I've had to almost heal a little bit of my um, trust in myself because I'm like, well, I could get this thing going and throw mm. spaghetti on the wall and shine. So I have been I've taken about two to three years to really marinate. And some of that I've done in your community, there's been some people in your community that have been crucial in in these different processes of like, what do I really want for this season in my life? And so I'm just, I'm really starting with one, maybe two offers and I'm beta testing. I'm not even publicly doing anything big. I'm just doing stuff behind the scenes. I'm in the process of getting this pretty highly involved executive leadership coach. So I coaching certification just to be able to separate from my license legal and ethically. So I just making a whole like separate thing just to keep that clean. So I'm going really slow. Um, I'm bringing on, I brought on um, Heidi Taylor from your community Mm -hmm. to help me with my systems. And she is, oh my gosh, she is a secret weapon for everybody. (laughs) Probably one of the best investments I've made in my um, professional career to date was working with her on just the beginning, the starting really strong, which is a core value of mine, that first impression, maybe it goes back to my time working in Washington, DC, that first handshake. And, and so really establishing myself as an expert, but getting clear on not just what I wanna do, but what's, wh- what's the life that I want and how is this expression in this company gonna support that? And, and I wanna be generous with my time, generous with my resources. And really, really selective on who I work with um, and really understanding because potentia, you know, like this, this is like branding marketing 101 fail. Like it was all about me and what I wanted to do. I didn't have the, I had the client in mind to an extent, but it was still too much about me. I really am looking at this company of okay, I have been studying and studying and learning and listening to the people that I'm so passionate about serving and taking time to tweak and iterate that getting systems set up for, I'm going to be doing the financials at the probably Q4 for it because I've been beta testing my offers this year, getting those financials and separating that company and getting that streamlined. And it's just slow. It's ease. It is everything I don't do, but it feels so right. And I've never enjoyed, I mean, I love my clinical work, but there's something that's just been so spacious and freeing. And i um, almost light about the work that I'm doing, even though it's intense. Um, it feels so different because I'm not reacting. I am definitely, everything feels so intentional and deliberate, not just checking off a box.
1: Ugh, I'm so excited for you. <laughs> so excited for you, Rebecca, thank you so much for shedding light on how you have learned through some of your mistakes, some of your failures, and just really all of the, the change that you have navigated over the last eight years. It's, it's been a privilege to know you for that long, but it's also just been a real privilege here today to, to kind of get the inside scoop on not only the business side of things, but also your own personal development around them.
0: Thank you so much, Tara. And I have the utmost respect for you as a leader and business owner, and I'm immensely grateful for your voice in the world. So thank you for having me.
1: Find out more about Rebecca Ching at RebeccaChing.com. Now, we've spent this month examining how resilience helps us navigate the often arduous journey of entrepreneurship. And throughout the month, I've noticed four key themes pop up. First expectations and assumptions entrepreneurs. Well, we often suffer from the curse of optimism. In other words, we have a hard time seeing what could actually go wrong. We underestimate just how hard parts of the process might be. So when things go differently than we might expect, we can get pretty down on ourselves and our chances of success. Tommy Griffith and Rebecca both shared stories of how their expectations got in their way and how they were able to recalibrate and start moving forward again. Next, I noticed that longevity inevitably requires us to call on resilience. Naturally, the longer you're in business, the more bumps you'll encounter. Cynthia Morris shared how she coached herself to stick with her business over two decades and why she keeps coaching herself to keep doing the work she asks her clients to do. Third, and perhaps the theme I received the most response to, is mental health. Entrepreneurs, despite our optimism, aren't immune from mental health challenges. Joe Casey and I have both dealt with anxiety and depression over the years, but I also heard from plenty of you about your own struggles and victories with mental health challenges. Finally, staying open to possibilities was another recurring theme this month. Charlie Gilkey encouraged us all to find the courage to do things that feel uncertain. And Alethea Fitzpatrick shared how staying open to possibilities has led her through a lot of pivots, but ultimately it's led her to a business that feels supremely fulfilling and impactful. Now, next month, we're going to shift gears and focus on how businesses create unique customer experiences. You'll hear how real small business owners have engineered efficient client onboarding, customer service, and educational experiences for their clients. And that focus on customer experience has helped win them new business. Plus, we'll also take a look at how to balance creating strong boundaries with the desire to build exceptional customer experiences. Look for the first episode in that series on Tuesday, November 5th. What Works is produced by Yellow House Media. This episode was edited by Marty Seifeld. Our theme music is by The Shrugs. Find over 240 more candid conversations with small business owners, plus our weekly newsletter full of my handpicked resources for building a business that works at explorewhatworks.com.